Have you ever experienced something so crippling in your life that has made you feel broken? I have. Are you someone who has a giving heart but is struggling to feel good themselves? Are you consistently putting your needs aside to take care of everyone else? If so, you're not alone. Giving starts with giving to yourself so that you are able to give of yourself to other people. Isn't it time you took back control and discovered what makes you tick? Join me in my journey and find out how you can feel better about yourself, live your best life, and share that with others. Thinking of yourself, it doesn't make you selfish. It makes you brave. I'm Nelia, and this is the Giving Starts With You podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Giving Starts With You podcast. I'm your host, Nelia Hutt, and I'm so grateful that you've come here again to listen to another episode, and thank you so much for all your comments and your ideas for the show, and I'm so honored to have you guys come back every Monday for a new episode. I have met another new friend who's just this great gentleman who I've just met. His name is Bill Lee Emery, and I'm so happy that he has agreed to come on the show. Welcome to the show, Bill. How are you? I'm excellent, and I'm really happy to be here. I'm looking forward to um, what I sense already is going to be a wonderful conversation. Oh, that's great. Thank you so much. Thank you. And especially you're in Australia. So for us to connect schedules, this was this was brilliant. So thank you for taking the time out this morning. Um, it's night where I am here in Canada, but it's all great. You know, the world becomes a smaller place as you meet more mm. people online. I love it so much. Um, so yeah, let's just dive right in, tell you a little bit about Bill. So Bill Lee Emery, he is... Um, as you can tell right through the screen, very passionate about what he does. I mean, that's the first thing I, I picked up when I, when I met him online here. But for after over 40 years of working with national and international corporations and businesses, world-class skydivers, cyclists, triathletes, golfers, and thousands of individuals who want to succeed in life, Bill has distilled his knowledge and experience into a series of books that have just one goal, which is an amazing goal, to help people become better, better versions of themselves. I love this so much. And this is what attracted me to this, to your topic and, and your brilliance around, around, you know, bulletproofing from criticism is so important for everyone. So yeah, Bill, thank you. Thank you again. And um you know, there's so much I want to talk about. There's honestly, I'm so passionate about these things. And, you know, okay. Um, first of all, I'm just going to ask, you know, the typical first question, um, where does your passion for helping people learn about themselves come from? Like, how did you get into, into all this? Oh, wow. That's a big question. Um, so for, for myself, it came from, my own finding about who I am mm -hmm. and finding out where um, I've always been interested in people and what makes them tick. And I realized the reason I want to find out what makes people tick is a purely selfish reason because I want to find out what makes me tick. And often what happens to human beings when they find something that works for them for a lot of people, there's this unconscious, almost um, 
irrepressible compulsion to want to tell other people about the goodies that they've found. So as I first started to explore who I am, what I'm here for, etc., over 40 years ago, um, it didn't become take very long for me to go, oh, wow, this is far out. How long has this been going on for? And just wanting it to share to other people because there's a natural thing with human beings that when we when we find something that works, the gift of giving it to another is so it's so juicy. It's so I love that. Yeah, it's just like we can't help ourselves. Um, well, I can't. I won't speak for everybody. But it's just like when I find something really neat, it's like you go to you find a really good movie or a really good coffee shop or whatever it might be, and there's like blah 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 blah, telling everyone that you know because you found a treasure, you found a gift, and so it, you know early in my in my career when I first started learning about myself. I started to do workshops on a whole variety of different things, many topics I didn't know too much about, but I had a lot of enthusiasm and a lot of, um, as we say in Australia, piss and vinegar, just like go do it and we'll just see what happens. So it kind of started from that. And the criticism part, that uh, we are all subject to criticism, whether it's internal criticism from ourselves or people from other people. And early in my teaching career, I was working with a group of special education teachers. These were people um, with master's, master's degrees or, or PhDs in education. And I was teaching about accelerated learning, something I was passionate about uh, way back then. I was doing for some years. And, but I don't have a degree in education. So I was going into the lion's den academically, academically and teaching about stuff they didn't know. And it was in the second week that things kind of fell apart. Mm. So I was talking about a model called transactional analysis, which is one of my favorite models of human behavior. You just go do a search on TA or transactional analysis. It's a very simple model, but it's very deep and profound and very, very practical. Anyway. So I was talking about this model and I noticed one of the participants was starting to get a little bit edgy, a little bit, you know, fidgeting and stuff like this. And then I made what I thought was, a, was an innocent comment. I said that I didn't think that guilt was a good way of getting kids to do things. And I still don't. Well, this woman just burst into the most vitriolic personal attack I've ever had in my entire life. No one's come anywhere near close to her. Mm. And just had the scud missiles coming towards me. And, and so I'm in my early 30s, something like this. And, it, you know, you don't expect to be attacked no. in the workshop, you know. So, but fortunately, I learned a couple of things. One, to keep myself centered and to breathe into my belly. And my brain was working rapidly to work out, well, what the heck do I do now? Mm. But I'd learned enough from my early training, that if it was a game of chess, I had her in checkmate in two questions, in two moves. So, and she just basically shut up. And so, so that was a really good, you know, you can have the theory about something, mm. but the lived experience is a thing that really embeds, you know, what you've learned and then made use of it. So, but the book itself, um, so I've been involved in men's gatherings here in Australia for the last eight or nine years, presenting on a whole variety of different things. And I'm just sitting, listening to conversations around the meal, uh, meal time, and I noticed a lot of men were talking about 
how they have difficulty in sometimes getting feedback from other people or criticism from you know maybe their partners whatever it might be and i thought mm, okay i've got some lived experience about this so i created a workshop for the next year and i ran the program it went down really well and then i was so i did the program i then put it on udemy so it's like two hours and 40 minutes of video okay and then and then i was sitting one day um just meditating and going right so what's next and the idea of a book came up and now this is my fifth book so i've written books before and i was thinking well you know what's to write about everything's been written about blah 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 i mean duh and then like a flash of lightning the idea well bill you've done the program you have created our videos why don't you just write the book about yes. how to be bulletproof and criticism <laughs> sometimes I may, I may have been teaching accelerated learning back in the day but sometimes i could be a bit dumb a bit slow <laughs> the but information anyway, so yeah it's all there <laughs> already right it's just got it yeah. yeah yeah so that's how the book started i love that and when when that woman said that to you you know it's almost i'm glad you said that you sometimes have to just stop because sometimes it's easier rather than knowing how to answer somebody when they're criticizing you it's easier to say what do, should i not do right like i don't want to make it worse i don't want to look like it's affected me like there's just so much so much stuff in there that yeah it's more about them than about me like there's just so many things so i'm glad that you told that story for sure you know like clearly nobody likes criticism but I think more so for heart-centered people like we are and for introverts and people just more empaths, because I think that the criticism, um, we make it affect us more personally and it can be so hurtful. You know, it can affect our confidence. It can affect our sense of self. Um, and sometimes it makes us question who we are and all these things. We start to question all these things. And I don't know about you, but in, in my experience, it takes so long for us to build ourselves up. But when criticism happens and you don't know what to do with it, it can crush you in a second. So that's why this topic is so important, I think, today, because. Yeah, it, you know, it takes so long to to fix something <laughs> that's wrong. And in an instant, it's so unfair that can all just be crumbled and taken away by by criticism and yeah, so there's just so much. So what do you do? What do you do when somebody hits you with something and it's just kind of like comes out of left field, you're left there hanging, you don't know what to do. And how do you prevent that from like affecting everything that you feel about yourself? Yeah, so that's um, that's a big question. So let I me- I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> just, no, that's fine. because I need this, to know. This, this is really what, <laughs> This is what I really explore in the book. And so it comes from personal experience, but also understanding some basic principles of that, that can, you know, when I say being bulletproof from criticism, it's an almost bulletproof because it depends on the on the personality. As you say, the you know, people that are empaths, people are more heart-centered. You know, literally, we can take things to heart. And so let me talk about the linguistics of taking something to heart. So I'm holding a pen in my hand. Now, for a lot of creative people, for example, or sensitive people, let's say this, um, I make this pen through my own design, my own hands, I make this pen. And I say to the world, hey world, what do you think of this pen? Now, 
someone might say, well, that's a lousy pen. Or someone might say, that's a beautiful pen. Now, whether they say it's a lousy pen or a beautiful pen, that is an opinion. Mm. The fact about this pen is it's mostly black and there's a little bit of white writing on it. So one of the, the default programs I have in my head is, is, it, is when someone's talking about something or they're voicing something, is it a fact or is it an opinion? Because if I'm not able to distinguish between a fact and an opinion, then I'm open, I'm, then I'm gullible. Anyone can tell me anything and I'll believe them. And when I hear politicians start a sentence by saying, I don't know happens in Canada, certainly happens in Australia, yes. the fact of the matter is, and I know they're going to give me some bullshit opinion, uh, and it's not going to be facts. Fact. So, so I've become much clearer when someone's saying about this, then I'll question, is it a fact or is it an opinion? Mm. Now, let's say taking the same pen. Someone might say that's a lousy pen or a beautiful pen. But either way, they are talking about the pen. <clears throat> so if I'm not able to distinguish between the pen and who I am, because they're separate. So I might create the pen, but I'm not the pen. Mm. And when people take things to heart, they literally take the pen and they put it right close to their heart. So if someone criticizes the pen, they take it to mean that they're criticizing them and not just who they are, but their deep sense of self. That's why if you're not able to distinguish this or make this kind of like a habit, because it takes a little bit of while, you know, you can hear the theory, but it might take a little while to kind of embed and become a practice. So if, if you were to call me a goose, for example, um, now it might be something stronger, but we'll just keep it to be a goose. So the first thing that goes through my head, if you call me a goose, well, is that a fact or is that an opinion? Have I just sprouted feathers? Am I making honking noises? Mm. Am I waddling as I walk? In which case, maybe I've turned into a goose and I haven't noticed. In which case, I need to go and see a vet or a doctor. But So if I'm not able to distinguish fact and opinion, then I'm gone. I'm lost. So the second thing is on this, whose opinion about me am I going to honour? Now, if you take... You know, it, it, when I was at school, bullying stopped at the school gates. Or maybe, mm. you know, they might follow you home for a little bit, but then they leave you alone. But nowadays, bullying is 24 hours, seven days a week, mm. um, forever and ever and ever, because of social media, because of smartphones. I don't know why they call, they call them smartphones. They should call them dumb, dumb machines in my view. But that's my opinion. It's not a fact. It's just my opinion. So if we're not able to distinguish the difference between a fact and opinion, you know, we're gone. If we don't distinguish the difference between who we are and what we do, then when someone criticizes something that we do, we make it about who we are. And that's not true. Mm -hmm. They are different things. They are connected, but they are different things. And we all learn this, I think, just from being children, like growing up, we learn that, you know, your job is who you are, but it's not. No, no, like for me, like I have severe anxiety. Well, it's managed now, but I used to feel like I was my anxiety. I am, a, you know, my depression and I'm not, it's a part of who I am. And the yeah. more you embrace that, like, I love what you said, because the more you embrace those, those things as being separate, the less you will hurt and suffer from what other people say to you. And I yeah. think that is the really, 
you're right. I think that is the very first thing that we have to do. And it might be a little bit tricky because it's not natural for us, right? So, but thank you for saying that because if you don't realize it, I think, yeah, that, that has to be the first step. I agree. Like, yeah. And can I add something else here? And yes. This is something I've really learned in the last five or six years, five, seven years. And that is um, our use of language is really important. So for example, if I say um, that scares me, then I'm giving the responsibility for my fear onto somebody else. Mm. By just saying that scares me. If I say, change my language and say, I'm scaring myself about blah, 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 mm. then the responsibility and therefore the power is with me. I never thought of it that way, but it's so true. So let me add another thing to this. Yes. And this comes from, um, I think it's Noam Chomsky, who was, no, um, Bates, um, I forget his first name. Um, when he was talking about language and, and he was talking about feelings and emotions. And he said that emotions are things that we do. Mm. In other words, they are verbs. So if I am sad, another way of saying it, a more accurate linguistic, biological, neurological way of saying that is I am sadding. Mm. If I'm right. angry, I am angering. Makes sense. If I'm anxious, I'm anxiousing. In other words, I'm doing the anxiousing. I'm, I'm doing anxiety, I'm mm -hmm. doing it. So when I have suffered from anxiety and depression, and pretty much everyone listening to this would have some degree of experience with either anxiety or depression or both. And it depends on, you know, to what level. And there's a, I understand there's a whole bunch of reasons why that might be true. So mm -hmm. I certainly don't want to trivialize people's experience. But what I would like to do is to shine a light on the bit that they can take care of. So for example, if I want to do some depressing for myself, not that I do it very often, but if I've got to, if I want to do that, what I have to do is think of all the things I've failed at in my life, all the missed opportunities, all the people I've hurt, all the all the things that I've done that I'm not happy about. Then I need to look into the future and think about all the nasty, disastrous things that can ever happen to me, and that and take my resources and make them smaller and smaller and smaller, and make the world's um, issues bigger and bigger and bigger and that's a great way of me to depress myself mm. if i want to make myself anxious what i got to think about is all the scary things in the world that could possibly happen to me amped up by 10 or 100 and that's a great way for me to create fear so fear anger sadness and joy the four basic emotions that we have are all things that we do there's not like a cloud and this is one of my mentors helped me to understand this um, when I just become separated and went through a period of depression and he helped me to understand that there's not a black cloud that cruises around the sky looking for people to pick on because yeah. that, that's the way it felt but that's not mm -hmm. true that's the way of what I was doing it on the inside 
And at the same time, because I've done a lot of public speaking, been on TV, et cetera, et cetera. In my early days of doing this, scared the shit out of me. I'm an introvert. <laughs> but for me to go talk to a whole bunch of people is the worst thing I could think of back then. And the level of fear that I would have, but there was just something inside of me says, Bill, I don't care. You've got stuff to say and you're, you're going to learn how to say it. And here's the first bit. So, and I've done skydiving, I've climbed mountains, I've done a whole bunch of things. A lot of people go oh, crazy. Um, because, and I've also learned to manage my fear in. So, thank you for mentioning that because. Yeah, for a lot of people, if we if we don't listen to our language, then our language, whatever the default is, will basically run us. And we have little power or agency, it's a groovy word these days, we have little agency um, <laughs> with ourselves. And I want people to be able to be much more aware, conscious and deliberate in how they choose their language and how they um how they take responsibility for their emotional reactions their mental reactions and the things that they do. So, and that's really part of what the whole book's about. And in essence, if I could tell you that the essence of the book is it's always an inside job. Always. An I inside love job. that so much. And you yeah. were just saying, just to comment on something you were saying, depending on the language, you're projecting things on other people, right? So <laughs> when you say that makes me afraid or that makes me you know, I used to do that a lot when my son was young and then he would turn to me without experiencing that thing. And he would say, oh, does that mean that I need to be scared of it too? Ah. Do you know what I mean? Because you're projecting it. So when you said that, that was the first thing that came to my mind because I'm like, yeah, am I giving people like, am I opening up a can of worms here? Am I giving people an option that they should be right? And, and the reason why I wanted to stop you earlier was because, you know, it's so easy to say, this is the first thing that we do. But, and then move on to the next. But that was such a big thing because if you, you know, it's easy to just go buy it quickly because there's so much more to talk about. But if you don't conquer that first step, then the rest is sort of just waiting in limbo, right? Yeah. So thank you for explaining that a bit more. It's a pleasure. <laughs> so what do you do after that? Sorry. Okay. Um, okay, so here's what, this next part is probably, um, if I was to give you a bar of gold, this is a, a cavern full, a cave full of gold coming away. This is probably the best thing I think I can share with you and your listeners. And this again was, um, so let me just say something here. All the things in my book are bits of wisdom that I've collected from my mentors and other people. I didn't make any of them up. I just happened to be expressing them through my own voice and my own stories. And so the wisdom is eternal. Um, and, and this is one of the things that I learned 40 years ago that really shaped how I deal with things that are upsetting. Mm. So my mentor, a man by the name of John Barnaby, who lives in uh, Tasmania these days, we were doing, we were learning about transactional analysis. And when you start to look at transactional analysis, the model itself, it's, it's quite simple, but it's very quite profound. And so we're doing a year-long program with John. And one weekend, he put up on the flip chart the statement, life is meaningless. Now, that was a bit of a shock to us because we were coming here to <laughs> learn a whole bunch of things about the meaning of life. And what do you mean? Life is meaningless. Anyway, so he went on to explain another flip chart. And he put the word event. And he said, 
Every day is full of hundreds, if not thousands of events. Us talking together is an event. Someone listening to this or watching this is an event. And what he was saying is that every event in life, every event, there is no exception to this, is meaningless or innocent. In other words, it's just the event. Mm. However, human beings are compelled to make meanings out of everything that happens to us. So true. <laughs> For example, I'm walking down the street. I see a friend of mine that I know. I wave to them and they completely ignore me. In nanoseconds, I've made some kind of meaning about him. Oh, how rude he is and, you know, doesn't he, doesn't he like me? And then I might think, oh, maybe he doesn't like me. Maybe he's, maybe there's something wrong with me. And maybe it's just, just him that doesn't like me. Maybe no one in that crowd likes me. Mm. What if it's bigger than that? Gosh, maybe, maybe no one likes me. And I can take that simple event and make a meaning out of it. And I can crank it up until I've got World War Three going inside my head. Mm. Or I can make a completely different meaning and go, well, hey, he looks really distracted. I might just check with him later on today and see if everything's okay. So two meanings out of the same event. But there could be a dozen different meanings on that exact same event. Mm. Now, if you look at the things that are happening around the world, and how divisive people are and how they divide it they are about their opinions because the facts seem to be a, an ever fluctuating uh, medium, um, how people get so stuck in one thing and go, this is the only meaning that you can attach to this event. Mm -hmm. So this is what John said. He said, every meaning that you place is always self-chosen. You choose whether it's A or B or C or D or Z. You choose the meaning that you make. And whatever meaning that you make will then become your reality. Mm. So if I look out the window, it's a rainy day, and I say to myself, oh, God, it's a rainy day. How boring. I can't go out and play in the garden. That's one way. Or, you know, wow, it's a rainy day. A great excuse for me to read my book and drink cups of tea. So same rainy day. It's innocent. It's meaningless. Mm. But I'll put some kind of meaning on it. And then he said, and this is really the kicker. So from event, we go to a meaning. The meaning becomes our reality. The meaning is always self-chosen. And then John said, it doesn't matter whether the meaning that you're making is true or not. That's not the best question. The best question is, is the meaning that I'm making useful or not? Mm. And that took a little while for me to kind of understand and, and, and get a sense of what he was talking about. But a week later, I had an opportunity to take this nice little bit of theory and put it into practice. So my girlfriend at the time, I was at home reading a book. My girlfriend came home and she was really pissed off, had a bad day at work, and she had a certain expression on her face. And I went into, um, I have to help her mode. Um, you know, you're okay, la, 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 which made her even more pissed off because she just wanted me to be me <laughs> rather than be somebody else. And, and I realized that I was making meaning about what her expression on her face meant and what therefore I had to do. And that meaning was totally my hallucination. It wasn't true at all. It was just something that I made up. So whenever I get angsty about something, upset about something in the world, or upset about something my partner said, a friend said, or something I do, 
I will go through this. What's the meaning that I'm making about this event? And there'll be layers. There'll be the surface layer, and there'll be something underneath it, and then something underneath it, and then something underneath it. And when I get to the bit at the bottom, and then I can ask myself, is this true or not? Mm. Or is it useful or not? And if it's not useful, I've learned over the years to drop it pretty quickly. Sometimes I'd still hang on to it because sometimes hanging on to stuff can be, um, well, there's a buzz out of it. You know, people um, like being self-righteous. There's a, there's a certain juiciness about being right about something. <laughs> Better give you a lot of happiness, but you can feel right about it. So, so that it, it all comes down to, mm. is the meaning that I'm making useful or not? And if it's not useful, we need to drop it. Otherwise, you know, <clears throat> it's said that pain is inevitable in life. You know, you have to be born and there's pain. But suffering is an, uh, an added optional extra. So if we want to suffer, just hang on to meanings that are not useful to you. And you can keep on suffering and suffering that you can tell everybody else and maybe they'll suffer too. So you can have the suffer party and all feel really bad about, feel really good about feeling really bad. But yeah. hey, I'm done with that stuff. I'm done with that stuff. And that's what we're used to doing, right? So we're comfortable there. You know what I mean? It's just, yeah. And, and when you say meaning, I, it, to me, I interchange it with the word too of perception and, you know, just because all of our experiences make up how we feel about things. <laughs> yes. So everything, you know, I might be looking, that's why you can have eight brothers and sisters in the same home and nobody feels the same about one situation, right? Or one event exactly. or, or one thing. So no, that's, um, yeah, I like the way he, he uh, broke that down for you and how you you're using it in your own practice. Sometimes I will catch my husband and I think he's got a certain look on his face. And now I've just learned to just ask him. Yeah. Because sometimes I put myself into these, you know, like you're saying, you just, you know, you, you get caught up in on all these negative things, because that's where the brain tends to go, I guess. And that's what you're trying to show us is no, you can stop it and choose what it is that you believe and what it is that you think. Sometimes I just when I'm confused, and I don't know what to do, I just ask, I'm like, am I reading the thing on your face correctly? And there's, and he might turn around and say, Oh, I've got a really bad headache, you know, and it has yeah. nothing to do with me. And then I'm like, no. Okay, just walk away. And it's all done. But other times, it's absolutely true. You do have to stop yourself because you know there's so many painful things out there why create more for yourself <laughs> honestly yeah and well some people do like drama and if if everything is going smoothly in their life they'll agitate something so they can have some drama so they can either solve the problem or be the victim or the persecutor or whatever so some people are drama queens and and maybe queen's not the right word drama kings might be better you know whatever mm. um, yes no they're into, mm. yeah they're into drama and so they'll they hate it when things are quiet so they will create something so they can experience some drama mm. and um but that could come from personal trauma too maybe there's just so many things out there so the first step you said is to is to um separate yourself right like the pen idea so yeah. separate yourself or uh, i'm more than just my job like all the things we were talking about and the second step you're saying i just want to be able to understand because if i understand sure. it, i can help with other people understand yeah so the second part of what you're saying 
is to to go through the meaning and then just really think about what what feelings and what emotions you're attaching to it and and go down those layers right yeah yeah okay that's great. but another really important part and this kind of speaks to your podcast too hmm. which is about self-care so one of the things i learned from the ta model the transactional model so very simply they talk about the parental part the adult part and the child part and the parents got two parts one is the critical parent now you should you must you have you ought to said there's a certain type of voice and then there's the nurturing parent which is the more emotionally supportive part so when the teacher going back to the early story was attacking me i was breathing into my belly and the first thing i did is i got my nurturing parent to to emotionally support me and i've become very good at doing this mm. so my nurturing parent would remind me the value of the model that i was teaching my passion for it the number of people that i'd helped through this model so i was doing a lot of emotional reassuring because as soon as the person started attacking me my belly just went mm. it tightened up because that's often you know that's that's where we'll often do our fearing will be in our belly it's kind of like saying there's some danger out there so i'm just letting you know <laughs> so that's what the body would have. the body is a beautiful thing it was always telling us the things that we need to know if we haven't kind of cotton onto them so i do some breathing to my belly i do some nurturing of myself and making myself feel safe because the safer i can feel within myself that's why i say it's an inside job and this takes practice you know it's like for a lot of people um you know, I'll ask them, like in a seminar, I'll say, okay, so write some, uh, I'll give you one minute to write down all the things you don't like about yourself. And the pants are <laughs> going like crazy. <laughs> then I'll say, okay, now I want you to write down all the things you like about yourself. And people looking around the room, looking at people's papers, like, where the heck do we get this from? That we have such an imbalance that we're not able to emotionally accept the goodness of who we are and to honor it and to recognize it and to establish it as deeply as we can. So here I am, all this is happening in, in nanoseconds. She's attacking me, I'm breathing into my belly, I'm doing the nurturing parent stuff. My adult, which is like my thinker, is working out rapidly, so why is she attacking me? Now, people only attack if they've got something to defend. Mm. Otherwise, why bother unless they're a psychopath, in which case, it's outside this conversation. So, so I'm thinking, okay, why is she attacking me? Then I got it. Of the 20 people in the room, if someone was to be the epitome of a critical parent, she was it. Mm. Her body language, uh, her verbal language, the way she was, you know, bossy and, and controlling. And so I had just explained to the whole, her peer group, PhD, master's in education. <laughs> I've just exposed her. So I wasn't dealing with a 30, 40 year old woman. I was dealing with a, a five year old kid who's been caught out doing yes. something nasty. And now everyone knows what it is. So she was basically attacking me to shut me down. Mm. <laughs> and it didn't so work. Good for it you. It did not work. She you got to kill them with kindness. <laughs> Indeed. Mind you, if I ever get to meet this person again, I'll give them a big hug because I've told this story to thousands of people by now mm -hmm. and people have understood the process because of what happened that yeah. day. <laughs> so yeah. there's, a, there's a blessing in everything if you care to look deep enough and long enough. 
It's true. And these are all things that you have to, I think it's a skill, right? So yeah. I think you have to learn all of these things. And then so that when something happens, like what happened to you in that moment, that you're ready. Because yes. when you're standing there, you don't really, you don't have time to go in your head and go, okay, what am I supposed to do now? And then you kind of like, <laughs> because for me, I would be like, if somebody said that to me, I would like want the floor to open and suck <laughs> me in because like, sometimes I surprise myself that I even do the podcast because I don't like to speak in front of people. Like, I don't like to, you know, it's just because I'm passionate about these topics, but standing in front of, you know, a crowd like that, if somebody had said that to me. I don't know how I would have recovered. So to be honest with you. So these are things I think, like along with good comebacks and all these, you know, kind, but firm comeback. Um, I think they're all things we have to practice before we need them. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. And, and because I've been around this particular model for about three, four, maybe five years, I had a, a good enough understanding about myself mm. yeah. and how to emotionally support myself. But if I hadn't had that training, then I probably would have done one of two things. I would have collapsed. I would have attacked her. Mm. And if I'd attacked her, I would have had 20 people against me. And I don't like those kind of odds. And if I'd collapsed, the class would have just, mm. it would have been useless. That Everyone would have walked out and I would have walked out and wouldn't come back the next week. But not so only I, that, but sorry to interrupt you, but if you were, if you attacked her back, even though she made the first move, it would have, felt to everybody watching that you were the one out that they yeah. should you know yeah. that would have been more that would have been worse for you than anything yeah yeah because professionally i it would be mm -hmm. suicide to have done that because mm -hmm. you just have to be better than that so i'm so glad that i've had the training beforehand great yeah, and so everything that in the book everything in the book is learnable they're simply skills that you can read you can understand you can apply and you can learn them because i learned them i wasn't born with the skills that i had to learn it myself mm -hmm. and so it's a matter of going is it important enough mm -hmm. and we haven't even spoken about the inner critic <laughs> and for for some people that inner critic is like it's there all the time they do something and it's like nying, 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 you're not good enough like the imposter syndrome or what makes you think you can do this? And, and it, it can be debilitating. Um, and I talk in the, in the book, a couple of stories in my primary school or, or elementary school uh, years where two teachers made comments about me, which basically shaped how my life went from there. But the meaning of that, I won't tell you those stories, but it'll take too long. But the meaning of that is, or the takeaway is both those comments but innocent things, meaningless things. The teacher said something and I made a meaning out of it. That meaning I embedded in my, my psyche about who I am and therefore boxed myself in or not mm -hmm. as to what I can do. And so, you know, that, that bad, just, isn't it? Listen, comment. So yeah. it's like, you know, and as, you know, teachers and parents, we need to be. Know, aware and conscious and responsible for the things that we we tell our children or grandchildren because when we're young we're like an, a, a sheet of paper with very little ink on it and just one little mark can actually make a big big difference 
I had a friend who, you know, in elementary school really did believe because one teacher kept saying to her, oh, you'll never be amount to anything and you'll never. And she believed it so much that it really did affect the future, you know, and it's just so sad because nobody should really have that, um, that what's the word I'm looking for? Nobody should have that right to change how somebody feels about themselves, but it happens every day. And I'm sure, you know, not out of malice, but I'm sure I have said things that people have taken to mean different, different things. And we do have to be very careful of the language that we use and the things that we say. Um, yeah, but the inner critic, that's, it's, it's there for everyone, isn't it? <laughs> I'm actually, I'm actually starting a new program this year on how to make your how to turn your inner critic into your best friend mm. and that's really a process uh, but part of that is let me just explain one little bit of it uh, the first book I wrote um, 30 years ago is called stop procrastinating and so for some people who are like chronic procrastinators and I'll take that as a habit something mm -hmm. that we do Mm -hmm. And often, you know, there's the parts of us that we like and are socially acceptable and we show them to the world. But there's the other bits of us that we don't want people to know, you know, we're messy, we're untidy, we're late, we're this, whatever. So we tend to hide those things away, but they're still there. Mm. Let me take procrastination. If someone is a procrastinator, then they probably disparage that part of themselves. They probably insult themselves. They probably... And it's almost like they want to push that part of their psyche away from themselves. Mm. But the problem with that is the further away it is from you, the less chance you've got of intervening. So you know that phrase, keep your friends closer and your enemies closer? Do you know why they say that? Why would you keep your enemies closer? Do you know why? Keep an eye on them. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Like if they're like a bit far away, like a hands no surprises coming <laughs> then you can breathe the same air as them you know intimately what they're like if they're on that side of the planet you've got no chance mm. so part of this then of turning your inner critic into your best friend is to bring your inner critic closer to have a conversation because underneath every behavior there's some positive intention for the human being no matter what it is um and there's a model that I'll, I'll explore in the book that really kind of mm. illustrates this. But basically, if there's part of it that you're pushing away, stop pushing it away. Bring it closer. Ask it questions as if you're starting a new friendship. And that's really the essence of what we're doing here, creating a friendship with the parts of us that we want to I'm push away. Yeah, and it's so yeah. important. And it's one of the hardest things to do because we we want to push it away. It's not yeah, it's not natural. Awesome. Who wants to look at, you know, who wants yeah. to deal with stuff? But it's when <laughs> it's when you're feeling all that crappiness and all those difficult emotions that you know you're on the brink of something good. Yes, yeah. Like Leonard Cohen says one end. of his songs, um, the crack lets a light in. Um, mm. I forget which song of Leonard Cohen's it is, but you know, it's the crack that lets the light in. So mm -hmm. we need to, in a sense, embrace our shadow part, the bits of us that we don't really show to the world, because that's where we can get the most leverage with ourselves mm. and bring out more of what we've got, as long as we've got the courage and the willingness to go look at the bits of us that aren't as pretty or as whatever it might be um, that we'd like the world to know. <laughs> it's so true you know and I love that we're talking about this I've had some previous guests come on and talk about um, the bullying side or 
reasons why people would <laughs> criticize, you know, but not the side that we're talking about today, which is what do we do about it? Um, because there are both sides, right? So sometimes we take so much time in trying to understand why somebody's doing that, because why they want to hurt us. And the fact is what's said is said, let's deal with how we're going to, you know, rather than wearing masks and putting up this armor to protect ourselves, like we need to confront things more, I think, confront the things that hurt in order to heal them, right? Yeah, indeed. And it does take a certain willingness and courage to do that. Um, you know, we can hide ourselves away from those things for, well, forever, if you like, but they'll still be affecting us. And that's a problem. You know, when, when, when someone says something about us when we're young and it's still going in the background, but it's still affecting us. So we need to bring that to mm. the forefront and bring it into the light. And one of my favorite sayings comes from The Course in Miracles. I don't know if you're familiar with that um, no. series of books. Um, and it's that love brings up everything unlike itself for the purpose of healing. Mm. So love itself wants us to be the best that we can be and to bring all of our gifts into the world mm -hmm. and, and to acknowledge and accept that as, as, you know, the true gifts of what we are as human beings. So love itself will bring up everything unlike itself, all our fears, all our doubts, mm -hmm. all our angsting, whatever, for us to bring it into light and go, hey, is this true? Is it real? Do I need to keep it? What do I need to do with it? How do I transform it into something useful? And some of the people that are the most brilliant on the planet, they have taken their pain, their angst, their whatever it might be, and they have been able to turn it around, mm. find the gifts within that, and we have so much service to the world. So coming back to your original question, <laughs> we, you know, why is it that, you know, when we've found something good, we want to share it with the world? Well, one is we have a lived experience about whatever it might be. And you can't get that from a book of theory. You just cannot. They're different things. It's like explaining rain to someone in a book or going out and being in the rain. They're completely different. So when we do come from a lived experience of something, our understanding of that is rich. It's nuanced. It's deep. And so we have more insights to give to other people that haven't been down that path or they haven't been able to express it or explore it as much as that person has. And there's such a, um, such a buzz in to be able to do that because giving is a selfish thing. Um, I've, I've spoken with other people about, you know, is it better? <laughs> I say that all it, the time. <laughs> is, it better to give, is it better to give or receive? Mm. And well, the truth is it's better to do both. It's like me asking someone, is it better to breathe in or breathe out? Well, you better do both, otherwise you're going to die. Well, actually you're going to fall unconscious and then your body will say, I don't know what you're doing, dude, but, you know, breathe in and out. It's much better for us. So, you know, giving and receiving is needs to be done equally. So when we're able to receive something, there's a natural desire to complete the circle and mm -hmm. to give to others. And there's a lot of joy in that because then, you know, the biggest buzz for me is when um, anything that I've said or done in workshops, whatever. And years later, people say to me, you might not remember this bill, but you said blah, blah, blah. I'm going, no, I don't remember that. But they do. And it's had a profound influence on them. So it's like we've all got these little stones and here's a lake. And we can drop these little pebbled stones into the lake and the ripples will go out. 
and we never know where the ripples go to and we don't have to it's not our responsibility and we at one stage were at the end or the result of someone else's ripple someone else's pebble because this wisdom just gets passed from generation to generation it gets wider and deeper and you know it's in a sense we're all um, going in the same direction somewhere ahead of us because of age or experience or training or whatever and somewhere behind because they haven't caught up and there are people to the side of us but every one of us is equal as a human being mm. no one is greater or Absolutely. less than anybody else we just have different experiences so and thank goodness people, for that because life would oh, be really? boring if we <laughs> you know and what you were talking about earlier it's like you're taught like i'm the poster child for what not to do because that's what happened to me was i didn't want to face the ugly stuff you know so instead of doing that like i suppressed my grief for 12 years and it brought up all of this other stuff and here i am with my personal experience and here you are with your personal experience and all we want to do is help other people because we know that there's light on the other side and all we want to do is help and give that to them but in yeah. giving that to them you're completely right it also gives to ourselves right yeah so i say in the trailer of my show that um be you know speaking about yourself and taking care of yourself it's not it's it's brave you know it's not um like i believe that for me giving is also a selfish thing yeah, totally. like you were saying that. And that's, yeah. I started off giving that way because I'm like, wow, this really makes me feel good. I'm going to do more of this and more of this. And then I realized, hey, people are benefiting from this, you know, it's, <laughs> it's not just, it's not just me. And honestly, this is now why I've created my business around that motto, because to me, that's the number one thing that helped me manage all of my things. Yes. Was the giving and learning to receive so thank you for for talking about that because we don't we learn not to give to ourselves that just give give and give and give and then we burn out and then we're left with nothing to give and everything falls apart right yeah so we need to learn like when i said everything's an inside job we need to learn how to be our best friends it's like you know breathing in and out it's giving and receiving you can breathe out, you can give to other people, but if you don't take a breath in, that's why self-care mm. is such an important, it's not a luxury, it's an absolute necessity. Like mothers, and this is a generalization, but mothers can be very bad at taking in. Now, my mum, for example, she would wait till everyone was sitting down and eating before she'd come and said, we say, come on, mum, come and sit down. No, 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 you go ahead, you go ahead. Giving, 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 giving. The problem with that is if someone is always, always giving, mm. what gets adds, added to that unconsciously, if nothing else, is a little bit of resentment. Okay. Yes, absolutely. And, it's, and we are not designed sustainably to keep on giving without receiving. So when you understand that the giving is a selfish act and i have no issue with the word selfish um it's a it's selfful might be a better thing we need to be able to take care of ourselves mm. as parents before we can take care of our kids and just coming back to something that you kind of mentioned and that that is i don't know if you know the story of the old lion and the young lion in the jungle have you heard that story no i haven't i don't think i have okay so <laughs> very briefly so this old lion he's in the jungle he's the king of the jungle etc he's sitting up on a little hill and he's got you know war wounds and scars and stuff because he's been around a long time lots of fights etc lots of adventures and he's looking down the clearing you can see a young lion 
and he sees a young lion goes wow i i remember what it used to be like to be like that young dude down there you know full of piss and vinegar and aspirations and whatever it might be and fearless and a bit stupid sometimes and and just and says to himself you know i'd love to you know have a chat with him just tell him some of the things that i've learned and maybe make his pathway easier then you flash down to the young one. The young one looks up and sees the young one and goes, wow, look at him. He's been around like forever. He is like a legend. He would have so many stories to share. And I wish I could talk to him, but what would he want to talk to a young dude like me? So the truth is, at some stage, we'll always be a young lion or a young lioness. And somewhere along the line, we'll get to hopefully be an old lion or an old lioness. And we need both need mm. the other. The old lion is, is such a pleasure to share the gifts that you've learned because of that selfish reason of giving, of the buzz that it gives you. And for the young lion to get, that's why I say to a lot of younger people, in particular, find mentors. My daughter, who's 31 now, has a mentor and had several mentors and, through her career. And that has been so helpful because they can just go, well, you know, in the scheme of things, you go here, you can do this, you can do that. Well, let me introduce you to this person or go and study this. So they make their path mm. um, easier, which means that there's more wisdom that goes out into the world. There's more intelligence that goes out into the world. And, and at some stage, I know my daughter will be a mentor. Well, actually, mm. she already has um, in some ways, um, but she'll be a mentor. So the old line, young line, is not mm. really dependent on age. It can be a 12-year-old helping their six-year-old brother or sister. Mm. Yes. So the process is starts way before. I love we that. Yeah. No, thank you for that story. I can really see everybody has has gifts, you know. And even okay. if they don't know what they are, the more reason to find out more about yourself to to figure yeah. those out. Um, yeah, so important. And I completely agree about the word selfish. Like completely agree. And and we talk about that a lot here <clears throat> on the show. And uh, we all need a little bit more, more of that, you know, um, self-care for sure. Boundaries. Beautiful. Boundaries. Yeah. yeah. And it's okay to take that time for yourself. It's, it's more than okay. And you know how you, you were, you were mentioning um, your mom and how my mom does the same thing. So everybody needs to sit down. You know, I remember my mom making tea for everybody and, and, she, and we're like, well, She's like, well, I've got to make some more. And I'm like, it's okay. We can just share what we have, you know? No, no, I'll just make some more. You guys go ahead. And then as soon as she turned around and was ready with her cup of tea, everybody was gone. Like they had all had their tea and left. And she said, stood there looking at me going, well, I guess I'm going to have it by myself. I'm like, well, you told us to go ahead. So if we don't go ahead, you get upset. And if we do go ahead, you know, it's the same with dinner time. Here we are Christmas. We're sitting around the table. It's okay. It's okay. You know, I want to serve everybody. And then you sit down and everybody's done because, you know, and then who are you, what are you left with? So you really do need to love yourself. And yeah. Uh, yeah so and, and, and it comes down to boundaries and having mm. healthy boundaries with ourselves and with other people and my friends know me that if um if there's biscuits on a, on a plate and everyone's had a biscuit and there's one left and then someone says to me bill would you like the last biscuit if i want the last biscuit i would say yes so they only offer me things if they're willing to give them to me 
Because you're honest. Because I know. Because I'm honest. And the other thing is too, if if someone says, Bill, can you do this? And I don't want to, I'll say no. Mm. Sometimes I give a reason, sometimes I won't, not appropriate, whatever it might be. But the other thing is, if I offer something to someone, I do it not out of a sense of duty, and I have to learn this, not out of a sense of duty or should or whatever, I'll do it because I want it. And it will be mm -hmm. from my heart, not from any sense of I should be doing this because of whatever, which means that there's, um, and I love it when my friends uh, do the same thing. Oh, um, yes. we, as I mentioned before, we live in an eco village here in Crumbin Valley and we have a bathhouse, we have a spa and saunas, etc. And so a few of us were in the, the sauna the other day and chatted away and the conversation got to be quite you know, loud and raucous. And one of the other people who I didn't know said, um, would you mind all being uh, quiet, please hear the sound is really reverberating. Um, it's quite loud. And I'm going, yeah, good on you, dude. Thank you for speaking up. Yes. And saying, I'm uncomfortable with the level of noise. Can you all just still keep talking, but just keep the volume down? And there was silence. And I'm in my head, I'm going, yeah, good on you, dude. Like, that's great. You know, like. Yeah, because chances here. are, if one person is thinking it, somebody else is thinking yeah, it too, yeah. right? So this is about being honest about what mm -hmm. you want and what you don't want and having the willingness and having the internal security to be able to ask that. Mm. Um, and with, without making a demand, it's just a request. And so all of my clients, pretty much, I, I suggest that they go learn assertive behavior, mm. either do an online course or read a book. Okay. So, they, so they learn some of the, the phrases to use, the body language, and they practice it before they ever get to need it. So when someone says, you know, blah, 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 they've already got the language, they've already had the practice, they know what to say. And, and, and boundaries is one of the things that I believe we all need to learn. Actually, babies are really good at boundaries. When you attempt to feed a child a baby We're done. <laughs> with a mashed potato and they close their mouth, they're going, I'm not letting that stuff in here. That's the first um, intuitive body uh, response okay. going, I don't want any more. Forget your games and all the things you're going to play. I just don't want any more. And it's yeah. a pity as parents, we don't go, hey, I get you, dude, you know, like you're the baby, you know what you want, you know what you don't want. Instead, we're teaching, yeah, <laughs> instead we're teaching our children to say the right thing so that we don't get offended. And they, we're forced so, feeding them. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I love this so much. We have talked so much more. Um, yeah, about so many things. We could go on forever. But Well, no. <laughs> I'm very happy. I'm very happy, Elia, to come back sometime. and. Talk oh, I'd about love that. Stuff. I would love that. Honestly, I enjoyed our conversation so much. Um, so much we could talk about. But yeah, where can we find your book, Bill? Where can we, you know? Okay, so it's on Amazon. Yes. Um, either .com or .com.au, depending on where you are in Australia. Um, and I also, if, if your listeners or, or viewers want to do this, I have a free uh, test it's mm. basically a scorecard and you can test yourself about your willingness to be bulletproof. I saw so that. If, That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. So if you go to my website, which is bulletprooffromcriticism.com.au for Australia forward slash quiz, then you can go there and do the free test and give you some things. And basically we deal with like inner criticism and external criticism. So you can get a, get a sense of where you are because if you know where you are, then you can plan the next steps. 
but if you have no idea really of what's going on, then you're kind of lost at sea. Yes, so, it's, it's so worth yeah. putting in the work because um, life can be so much better on once you've done it, you know, it, yes. it really can. I know I said this in the beginning, but it's so true. Like when somebody says something to you, it can really hurt, you know, yeah. and it can make you question who you are and everything about, you know, just just everything, you know, like you could be so well versed in life and so many things, but if somebody turns around and just says something like, oh, but you don't have a degree or it doesn't matter what it is that they say, it just kind of minimizes all of your accomplishments, you know, and we don't have to feel like that. No. So I love that you've written this book. I, I love that you're, you're out there and you're teaching people, you know, how, how to bulletproof this stuff, because I think it really it makes a big difference, you know, and it can really impact the world in so many ways. So I appreciate you doing that. So thank you. It's my pleasure. And I knew we were going to have a good conversation. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, yeah, I don't know. I only have people on my show, honestly, that I connect with. I haven't had one guest that I just don't feel like their heart, you know, that's just who I am. And yeah. Is there anything we didn't talk about that you wanted to mention before <laughs> before we leave today? Or uh, I think we've pretty much covered everything, um, except for one thing that I want to mention, and that is uh, one of the coaching modalities I use is called M-Braining or MBIT. Okay. And we talk about three major intelligences. Actually, this might be a good conversation for another okay. podcast. So okay. we talk about three major intelligences, one in our head, one in our heart, and one in our gut. And when someone is standing correctly, posturally, their heart is slightly ahead of their head, which means that biologically and physically, structurally, we are designed to live from the heart oh, first. Okay. And our head brain and our gut brain are there to serve our heart. And so I when people are literally coming from their heart then they will be on the right track they'll have much more joy and oh yes you need to come back heart. you need to okay. come back we need to get good, into good. this right. on another time because honestly um yeah we we just we need to do this again because right. so much to say good. about this topic okay. let's let's no that's great <laughs> phil thank you so much it was so great to, to meet you yeah, and thanks for coming on. And I know that there are people listening at home that you've really helped them today. And I think just open their eyes to, even if it's as small, even if all they take away is you don't need to put up with it. Yeah, you know, really. you don't need to do that. And you need to be your biggest advocate. And when you do come back again, I would love for you to speak a little bit more about your, um, the workshop you want to do with, you know, your inner critic and become, oh, yeah, sure. because I yeah. would love, I would love that. I think that's really, really needed in the world and people are really resistant to the pain, to looking at stuff. Um, and there is no healing without that. And I know that personally, and I think that, um, we need to talk a little bit more about that too. Sure. Sure. Well, thank That's you great. so much from Australia. <laughs> it was so great. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode. If you enjoyed what you heard, please subscribe or leave a review. See you next week on the Giving Starts With You podcast.